0: You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy.
1: John Trask is CEO of both Dimitra Technology an international ag tech company and blockchain guru, a blockchain, AI and IoT consulting, software development and training company with offices located globally. John has an extensive background leading and transforming multinational supply chains in manufacturing, distribution, retail and services. Four times, John has led multi-billion dollar supply chains as Chief Procurement Officer or VP Logistics and Supply Chain. His experience includes designing, developing or implementing over a hundred systems and process transformation projects, mostly in the logistics, supply chain and business systems space. John has completed a Master of Science in Procurement, Logistics and Supply, MSC, and has been recognized with a Chartered Fellowship in Procurement and Supply by the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, CIPS. John has designations in Production and Inventory Management, CPIM, Logistics, Transportation and Distribution, CLTD, and Supply Chain, CSCP, from Apex. John is regularly called upon as a presenter on technology applications in logistics and supply chain. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us today. I've been enthusiastically waiting to chat with you for quite some time. To start us off, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background beyond the bio. How did you get started in blockchain and the whole world of technology security and IT generally?
2: So, years ago when I graduated school, I started working in programming and developed a taste for crypto at that point, worked for an organization in Canada that um, it's very focused on security and cryptography and and elements like that. Um, I transitioned from there into supply chain and ended up working in some of Canada's largest supply chains and then consulting for a while. Um, and then back in, I don't know, the mid-2010s, kind of the 2015 around there, uh, blockchain started to take uh, precedence and it drew me back. Uh, I started doing some consulting projects. I started, you know, picking up and coding and studying blockchain and seeing how I could apply it. And, uh, and then in 2017, I started a company called Blockchain Guru. Awesome. Um, and Blockchain Guru is focused in a couple areas. So we're really focused on uh, software development, training, and uh, consulting. And then in 2020, I started a company called Dimitra. And Dimitra is the application of blockchain and artificial intelligence to the agriculture industry and ag, ag tech, essentially.
1: Fantastic. That is an area of growth, I'm quite certain. It's pretty we exciting. Think,
2: we think so. There's a lot of opportunities in ag tech that we're finding. And and Dimitra is a separate corporation from Blockchain Guru that you know, came from ideas that we were working on at Blockchain Guru. Um, and we found a lot of customers around the world for the product and a lot of interest in new products. So we have a development team working on expanding kind of the product base and uh, a vision and a roadmap of of where we think it can go over the next couple years. And then we're just, I guess, tweaking that roadmap, uh, based on customer acceptance. So oh,
1: fantastic. So for those who don't yet know what blockchain is or what the applications are, can you give us a bit of a call's notes explanation?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, so blockchain, um, is founded around ledgers and initially it was founded around financial ledger ledgers. So, you know, you look at your standard accounting mechanisms and that is a a ledger. A blockchain is a decentralized ledger. And what that means is we're not centralizing the data in one spot. We're actually taking that data and we're moving it around a number of nodes. And those nodes could be located across the country or could be located around the world. And Blockchains use things called smart contracts and a smart contract isn't a contract in the traditional sense. A smart contract is the code that actually allows us to validate that a transaction has taken place or a particular step within a supply chain or value chain has taken place. And when we do that, we perform an activity called consensus. And consensus is just the validation by multiple computers around the world, these nodes, that the activity has taken place and we've met the criteria of the smart contract. When we do that, we lock it into what we call a blockchain, which is made of two components. A block, which is just a repository for information and a chain, which actually ties those together. And the value that that creates is that we have a very high level of security. We have a very high level of immutability. And so I can take a piece of information in a blockchain and I can record it and encrypt it with what we call a 256 hash that the number doesn't matter. But I'm actually creating a secret code that is going to protect that information. And... When I do that, I am going to tie different blocks of information together like a chain. So now I've got an encryption in each block and I've got a chain that ties them together. And I have a mechanism that takes those pieces and creates a very, very high level of security. And the reason it creates security is when we encrypt a block and we lock in a block, it can take seconds, maybe nine seconds to do that. And we may have a block every nine seconds being created on a chain. And that time, that time varies. So if I am a hacker, and I hack a traditional computer system, I almost have an infinite, infinite amount of time to get in and hack that system. In a blockchain, I don't have an infinite amount of time because we're adding a new block every nine seconds or every minute or whatever frequency it is within your application. And if I hack the system, I have to be able to take control of 51% of the nodes on the system. And I have to be able to break the encryption in that nine second window.
1: Little challenging, probably, even for our computers that try to invade other computers nowadays. And: uh,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Guess. And if you, math, if you look at the math, if you look at the math, they say if Google took all of their computing power and threw it at a blockchain, it would take a hundred years for them to break it.
1: Interesting statistic. Oh So yeah. the,
2: the biggest organization with the most computing power in the world. Um, literally can't do a brute force attack on a blockchain. Now, now that doesn't mean blockchains don't have weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, passwords are always a weakness. people managing yes. their passwords. You know if if I can find a way to get your password, I can still access the system. right. So So you've got your traditional security concerns in a blockchain but you've eliminated a bunch of them around around the skill sets that hackers have.
1: And, and the invisible invasion, because for a lot of companies, yes, their employees are certainly their weakest link, because, I mean, we're all human, we all make mistakes, we click on the wrong thing, we give our password to someone that we shouldn't, et cetera. But a lot of the hacking is almost invisible to a lot of the companies. They just don't realize until it's too late that something is happening silently on their server in the background or something like that.
2: Yeah, I was reading an article um, this week about cybersecurity, and I think it was something like 167 days on average before a company detects that they've been hacked. So the hacker's actually been in their system for the better half of a year. And then once they've determined that they've been hacked, they take an, on average another 60 days to actually break that. Yeah, and, do
1: something about it. And do yeah. something
2: about it. So again, now you're looking at about, you know, 220 days of the year has gone by Absolutely. where your information has been breached and available to somebody.
1: Oh yeah, inordinate risk. So for the average company, um, what kind of applications are relevant to move to the blockchain? Where would a company start if they want to even consider if it's applicable to their business?
2: So there's probably a couple big areas that are, are really taking off. The first is finance. And you know, finance has a lot of interest around um, audit, making their, their transactions auditable, and making sure that there's logic in those transactions and that they can track the logic. So banking, um, financial institution, other types of financial institutions, uh, payments, platforms are all uh, very interested in blockchain and that world is taking off. You can see it in the cryptocurrencies and in what we call DeFi decentralized finance. Uh, There's a lot of activity. The second big area, and this is kind of being led by some of the big food companies, is supply chains. Awesome. So back in 2019, Walmart was assessing new technologies to solve some of their food traceability issues, uh, particularly around recalls for green leafy vegetables. Makes
1: sense. We have um, little problems in those regularly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so many recalls and, and I guess leafy vegetables are susceptible to, you know, foodborne illnesses and things like that more than other packaged foods. And essentially what Walmart was having problems when they would do a recall, they wouldn't know where that food had been, what what it had come in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, record keeping is kind of mixed. Some farms are shipping on manual paper. Some of them, you know, had Tracking systems, but you know everything hadn't been digitized. What? And when Walmart looked at digitizing that end-to-end supply chain, they found the best technology for it was blockchain. Since then, they've mandated blockchain across their a lot of their food, pharmaceuticals, uh, fish, anything that has uh, food safety, food security issues. Um, and now we're seeing other organizations start to pick it up, like. Nestle and some of the big global food behemoths.
1: Very interesting. Uh, Certainly on the traceability, I mean, I previously worked in aerospace, and of course, there's a very big traceability element there as well, because I mean, these aircraft are in the air for 30 years plus, and you need to know every part that's been on the aircraft, when, where it was manufactured where it's gone, basically. So I would think that traceability generally in the world is probably an area that we're going to migrate more and more into areas like like blockchain. But the most immediate need is is probably in our food because, after all, it has a very short lifespan and it can make people really, really ill. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. So. Yeah, lots of issues in food. And then I, I think, you know, the... The other areas we're seeing right now really taking off is identity and, and the encryption and protection of an individual's identity. And, you know, we had that hack last year at revenue Canada where some, some number of millions of records got hacked and, and were available to whoever the hacker was um, in a blockchain. If I hack a blockchain, I get access to one block the encryption on the next block is different. As opposed to a traditional system where I've got a firewall sitting in front of a database that can t- contains all of the information, if I hack that, I have access to the entire database. So so blockchain adds another layer of security.
1: Yeah, and almost keeps it compartmentalized. So. It's because um, my understanding is that the records in the one, if you change something, it's now a new block. So you've got to have the key to get back to the prior record because it's progressive as it moves forward. So yeah, logically way more secure. So for companies to move to blockchain, do they specifically have to write the code for themselves? Is it bigger companies that are doing it? Or, or is it companies of all sizes because it's fairly accessible?
2: So I, so I think there's a mix. I think very large corporations are writing their own code and trying to develop blockchains like Walmart. Uh, there are some who are going to the big consulting companies like IBM. And, and then there's application companies like ourselves. So we, we've built an application on blockchain for the agriculture industry. And we sell that to agriculture ministries, to large ag firms um, who are involved in, you know, fertilizer inputs or, or the end-to-end traceability of the outputs of farming. Um, and then hopefully one day we're selling it direct to farmers. We're, we're producing a SaaS model. Um, so, and there's lots of blockchain-based technology companies in the world who are building applications, so lots of good examples of products that have been built and and they're getting some good adoption in different industries
1: fantastic so it's it's pretty much at the moment it's it's in a way industry specific that the applications are being written so that they're tailored to the needs of that particular industry
2: typically um some of the big ERP players like SAP have built modules so um, SAP has got a module that allows you to bring in an outside application. It's called Leonardo. And you can integrate an application as a middleware, while SAP is still the the backbone business system. Awesome. Um, Oracle's doing some of that now. And uh, I would say most of the ERP companies are have I already started that or they're getting into it now.
1: So you operate internationally, do you find that there are particular challenges in trying to move between different regions? Do you find the legislations or currencies or anything impact on your particular applications?
2: So there definitely are rules in different countries around how they want to manage data. Um, We see some of the countries that we're working with um, want to keep the data on-prem, so they haven't really adopted cloud yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So they, wanna, they still are trying to maintain that we're going to have it all in one spot, but we want it to be a blockchain. <laughs> and, Interesting
1: uh, <laughs> conflict there.
2: Yeah, so you have to work through the the strategies with them around how they do that. We're talking to a Middle Eastern nation right now about building an um, e-voting system for them.
0: Mm. And
2: from a design perspective – uh, they're looking at or we're we're discussing, you know, how do we build a blockchain but still maintain all of the data in-country because they don't want to part with that data sovereignty, if you want to call it that, with their sovereign nation strategy.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, there are lots of countries around the world that are like that. They want to keep the data in-country. So,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: Interesting.
2: So then we have other we have other uh, legislative issues and uh, you know, I think in business there's always challenges doing Mm -hmm. business internationally. Um, you know, tax treaties between Canada and countries sometimes exist and sometimes don't exist. And and then you have to make different business decisions around corporate structure and, you know, how many layers to the corporate structure need to exist in order (sighs) to, to manage tax. (laughs) Um, so lots lots of challenges, um, but they're all fun in the in the end, you know we are on a mission with our ag tech software to really focus on developing nations, and okay. yeah. our goal is you know I look at it, and I grew up in Canada um, my best memories of my childhood were going to my grandfather's farm in the summer and I go live on the farm for the summer and mm-hmm. you know ride horses and take care of the cattle and Deal with some of the crops that he had, and and you know, and just do the fun stuff that kids do, you know, playing with frogs and yeah,
0: jumping in the true. hay and
2: things like that. So I had a lot of good memories of that. But there's a distinct difference that I'm finding between a Canadian farmer and you know, perhaps a, a Ugandan or an African farmer. And, yes, and in in Africa, we find that there's a lot of subsistence farmers or smallholder farmers who really, you know, produce enough crop maybe to feed their family but they haven't been able to transition from that to a commercial operation. Mhm. And and one of our objectives is how do we put our platform in the hands of all of those farmers? Fantastic. Um because the Canadian farmer may have two or three times the output of a of an African or South American farmer. Um uh, just because of the economic advantages of being in Canada and, you know, maybe some of the advancement of technology here, what we're finding in Africa is that the farmers have transitioned to phones. And in some cases, you know, all of them have smartphones or a very large percentage of them have smartphones.
1: Yes, very true.
2: Um, But they may never go out and spend $300 a year on an app like a, like right. a Canadian farmer would.
1: Yes, yes. They just can't afford to. It's a very, very different approach in Africa, is one very good example. Yeah.
2: So, you know, we're working with governments to find a way to let the government provide some sponsorship. And and then we can provide the, the application to those farmers. And they can start getting benefit by entering data around, well, I just planted corn on this day and here's the weather analysis and here's, here's how I prepared the soil. And we can start taking that information, coupling it with artificial intelligence, reading satellite signals that we bring in and give some advice and say, you know, maybe your moisture content is not high enough. Maybe your nitrogen contents aren't right. And we can get a lot of information from what they observe Mm-hmm. plus the satellite plus some cheap sensors that may they may be able to keep and right. and then our machine learning will do analysis on that and come out with a recommendation that says if you were to you know do this you may see a 10% yield increase or a 20% yield increase
1: very very valuable i mean that 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 makes enormous sense so it's mainly on the production side that you're working at the moment would you be looking to go to the the sales side as well the traceability on that side eventually
2: so we have two sides to our platform we have what, what i call the downstream side and the upstream side and Upstream is everything that the farmer touches. Downstream is kind of everything that industry touches. Right. So, you know, as a farmer picks their crop and goes through this harvest, then we recommend storage and best practices about storage. Awesome. And then we have a track and trace element to our platform where, you know, they can um, record that they put three pallets of um, corn on a truck and here's the truck number and produce the bill of lading, produce the way bill, produce any export certificates within the system that they might need if mm-hmm. they're sending it overseas. Um, so we actually, the platform really focuses at the start end on upstream and then we have the commercial downstream part as well. So we can produce those e certificates or health certificates that are necessary to uh, deal with export.
1: Fantastic. That, That is absolutely awesome. I mean, it's going to give those farmers in the, shall we call them, less developed agricultural areas an enormous leg up, quite honestly, that if they can just use their phone to do all of these things and become global players in the sense of, even if it's that they are marketing within their more local area, but they've got the advantage on the on the higher yields, better fertilizing or whatever they need to do, planting at a different time. I mean, I would think that you would be able to compare that the farmers who planted in week one have a different yield to week three or something. And if that happens year after year, well... Hang off a bit and plant in week three if that's the better week, or the the worse week, plant earlier even though you think the frost is still there. So that is amazing. So you have um, obviously created quite a few companies here. Do you have any particular tricks or secrets that you've used to overcome challenges along the way?
2: So you certainly can't avoid them. You mm-hmm. just gotta you gotta face them head on, and you know. Businesses are difficult, right? You have, um, you have this vision that you've got to create of what your business is. And, and, you know, you've got all the processes that you're in the software industry that you're trying to develop, which may or may not match the customer design. So, Bond. you know, from that perspective, the first thing I would say is listen to your customer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're building out your software and, and building out your products, You really have got to get feedback from those customers and, and make sure you're building something that works for them. And then I think there's the people part and it's just, you know, how do you treat people? How do you manage people? Is everybody on your team pulling in the same direction? And that's a challenge when you're starting to grow a large team and everybody's new to how do you onboard them to the vision? How do you, (laughs) how do you translate vision to a, you know, process and then, you know, people have different motivations. So, how do you motivate those people to uh, move things forward? And you have to trust your people, but at the same time, you need to spend enough time with them to make sure that they are are rowing the boat in the right direction. So, you know, yeah, you,
1: very, and, very true.
2: And then the big thing I worry about is how do you make course corrections? You know, I maybe I don't get the product right and need to mm-hmm. go back to design to tweak it to meet a certain niche. So, you know, we build a roadmap and, and I don't sit with my roadmap set in stone. You know, we know the components we're going to build. We know as we implement and even as we design, we're going to learn things and you just, you have to go back and say, what am I learning? And how do I tweak my business plan to, to meet the needs of what I'm learning?
1: Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And being in a technology space, that is probably one of your biggest factors. I mean, it's cultures are really hard one in a company. And the larger it grows, the harder it can be just because there are more hands and more handoffs in the message. But I would definitely think that you, you've got to have a general plan on the strategic side and be relatively flexible to rework, go a different direction. Once again, as you say, listening to the customer, they may lead you in a different direction to where you originally intended to go. But now you're in such an exciting area, being technology and IT specifically, what are the trends you see coming our way for the next, let's call it three to five years, which is a long time in technology
2: yeah, so I would say the the biggest trend right now that's being adopted is the application of artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, there's so many decisions we can make, and we can look at so much data with machine learning that you know typically people would sit in a room and study and try to analyze it in excel and mm-hmm. and our ability to um, perform data analytics in an automated fashion has just progressed so much in the last five years. So I think I think that's exciting, and we're working a lot with that. We've got some good people on our team who are specialists in, in data science and machine learning and artificial intelligence. And then, of course, blockchain's hot. Um, you know, the crypto world has taken off. We have non-fungible tokens now that... Mm-hmm. Are, you know, everybody's talking about maybe some of the things that we're using mo- non fungible tokens for seem a little silly and, and some of them seem very practical. But, you know, when you're developing a new technology, people are always trying to figure out what they can do with it and yes. what the business application is. So the innovation right, coming out of blockchain is high. Um, you know, crypto companies are reshaping the financial lam- landscape, the, Fair you know, I had a conversation so. with a friend of mine who started, I was an accountant this, and he and I were talking this morning about valuations and, and some of these crypto companies getting, you know, just ridiculous yeah. valuations.
1: Ridiculous multiples. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, uh, but it is redefining business. And, you know, he, he does a lot of work in the venture capital area. So, and, you know, he looks at it and, you know, maybe the way we did business five years ago is changing and investors need to change their strategies and, And uh, you know, social media plays such a big role in it now. Um, ESG, you know, the social mission of companies mm. plays such a big role in it now. So some of the principles that we've had in the past are fading away and, and we're trying to figure out what the new principles are.
1: No, absolutely. It's a pretty exciting time from that perspective. But at the same time, it's also tricky to get our, shall we call it, established venture and funding mechanism and systems and entities to think and be able to operate in new ways. I mean, Calgary is one example. Over the last little while, we've been trying to get more funding into the newer industries, shall we call them, which are hard in a way when you start because nobody understands how those industries work, how what their needs are, how one funds them even. So it's, uh, yeah, as you say, it's pretty, pretty exciting times, but pretty, pretty uh, challenging as well to modify the ways that we do all of these things. And you're involved in educating the next, uh, sh- shall we say, the existing uh, students who are keen on learning new things, but also new people as they come along. How do you even go about educating people into these areas?
2: Well, so I think we learn by trial and error as awesome. we're as we're doing things and and we document that and we start putting together courses. Um I've got a partnership so I'm a Canadian on the Canadian Partner of Blockchain Training Alliance. So I can access some of their materials in order to train people. And we've built some of our own materials in order to train people and and then we work with the educational institutions. Like we have great partnerships. We're working with SAIT here in Calgary. Um, you know, we've got some contracts now with colleges in, in BC and Manitoba. You know, I got off the phone this morning. I was talking to um Durham College and Algonquin College in Ontario and awesome. and both of those um colleges are running our programs and, and we'll be teaching for them um in the fall. And You know, it's nice when we can take professional software developers and people who are applying the technology and put them together with educational professionals who can help us learn how to teach better than we can. And, you know, it's a nice fit for me. And, you know, one of my challenges is I get opportunities and contracts where I may need 5, 10, 20 developers and there's just a lack of trained talent, mm-hmm. particularly in, in Calgary. Although there's been a, a lot of movement towards, um, develop, you know, converting from oil and gas and, and training people in artificial intelligence and blockchain, there's still some scarcity from, yes. a, from a trained individual's perspective. And what it does is it, you know, either drives us to go two ways. One is train our own. Mm-hmm. You know, and hence, I think there's value for me to go and work with an educational institution and create new people or new, new developers who I could potentially employ in the future after they've gone through their education. Uh, or then secondarily, if I can't train my own or I can't do that quick enough, I really have to start looking to places like, you know, India and California. And there's a lot of places in the world where, you know, they're much further ahead from a from a software development education perspective and a larger percentage of the population goes to college and gets a bachelor's degree in computer science versus, what? you know, uh, petroleum engineering or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. I would think that your contribution, because you have the practical on the ground experience and further developing that experience as you move forward, you can assist in growing the education field in that area because these educational institutions can't do it by themselves. They need the practical assistance to grow it. And I mean, it's universally agreed that we probably cannot educate enough students and we do need the practical experience, which is a deterrent when you've newly educated, you don't have the experience. But we've got to start somewhere. And the more we build these programs, the more likely we are to attract students and develop our own skill set.
2: Yeah, you know, we're work, we've been working with SAIT for a year now, and, and they've got a really good vision of their new digital school. And, and they've, you know, they got some funding, um, got a grant to build a new digital school and nice. and they've got they've got their vision nailed down and they're trying to figure out what courses are necessary but i think they approached it and uh, you know they've got some strong leaders over there that we're dealing with they've approached it and they've gone to industry and found industry experts to try to make practical um, hands-on education mm-hmm. as opposed to Maybe the balance in uh, in university typically is a higher balance of theoretical to to practical. The colleges are really focused on you know how do we put somebody out and you know after they take a handful of courses so that they can apply it in their career.
1: No, I must admit I am a big proponent of SAT. I admit I never used to be, um, but I have a child that went through education at SATE. And the more I look at what SAIT accomplishes, the more complimentary I am. They are a very hands-on, practical, empower-the-individual-to-contribute-from-day-one kind of organization. So, uh, yeah, I have no doubt they must be doing an awesome job on this, this new school as well. That is absolutely great to hear and very pleased to hear you involved because if nothing else – Uh, war stories and and hands-on experience just makes education so much more fun and interesting for these students. uh.
2: Well, and they make it fun for me. You know, I learn as the students come in and and they have different experiences and they come into the classroom and they ask questions. And, you know, I've got to sit back and think, you know, what angle are they coming at this from? And in a lot of cases, I know the answer. But, you know, in, in a few cases throughout the year when I'm teaching... You know, they challenge me and I go, Yeah, that's a different perspective and maybe I can learn something from that perspective. Yeah,
1: which is awesome. So so there's mutual benefit in doing this. That's pretty exciting. So are there um, in this whole field, are there any areas that worry or excite you?
2: So I think I'm working in the ones that excite me. You know, IoT, blockchain and AI are great um and then you know from a vertical perspective we're working in the education vertical uh, we have a great partnership with a company in ontario that's building some or having us help them build some really cutting edge medical applications
1: exciting
2: and uh you know so this this lady in in ontario you may want to interview her at some point she's she's got a a firm that is really trying to change the way and the ownership of medical records.
0: Awesome.
2: So, you know, our health programs really have centralized medical records and, you know, they're under lock and key for security reasons, but they're even under lock and key to the extent where maybe we can't use the data in them to extract the most value.
0: Yeah. So no, true.
2: she's created a platform, um, called TamVu's, and her platform really is focused on a different method for that medical record. And how do you share that medical record with, you know, your parents or your siblings? Um, She went through some scenarios in her life where she, you know, she was a medical professional, but, you know, when her grandmother was sick and other members in her family were sick, she couldn't really get a hold of their medical records to use that. What? to help with the home care and things like that. So she's mm-hmm. trying to make an impact there. Um, you know, last year we did a, a program for her that's incorporated within our system that, you know, we go and we look at the NIH data database, the national Institute of mm-hmm. health in the U S and we can take information that's within our platform, within your medical record. And we can take queries that a customer or a patient or a doctor may have, and we can start combining some of that data to do some analysis. And, you know, it was really interesting when she started us down this road, uh, we were looking at medical records related to COVID and, you know, between March of last year and when we were really working on this program in September, uh, there were a a million uh, medical research projects that had been written up and were in the, NIH database and you look at that and you say well how does a doctor ever make heads or tails of a million research papers and there's so many variables and parameters when you're assessing somebody's health particularly in a new disease that um, you know really isn't hasn't been well studied no
1: history I mean it's
2: so You know, we built this platform that says, okay, we can take some of that data that's available, take the query from the doctor, and come back and say, here's the 10 best reports that you should read.
0: Helpful.
2: And so that's been up and running since, I think, Christmas time on her platform. We're working on another one now where we can take your, your Apple Health Watch, and we can take that data, load that into your medical history and start correlating some of that data to do you know predictive disease and disease assessment so how do we predict diseases how do we use that data and inform the doctor around maybe what an individual should be looking at and how do we provide more intelligence to the individual about the data coming off their health their apple health watch and absolutely phenomenal the so sky's
1: the limit on the value that you could derive from i mean here's another just one example of medical records
2: yeah it's it's a it's an exciting field and and uh you know at some point i'll introduce you to her she's she's got a great vision of what she wants to do and she's out executing that vision and trying to make a difference in the world and i think you know i i personally like you know you and I knew each other from from the energy market a few years yeah. ago, but I love working in medical and agriculture and you know we can make such an impact mm-hmm. in a lot of areas
1: yeah you know no, true uh, and on a large number of people lives influence areas i mean one of my previous podcast guests works in the seniors market. And equally frustrating because she says in that market, of course, you cannot even get medical information between health professionals to try and assist the patient, or in many cases, the family needs to assist the patient and they don't have access to the records. But um, there's just there's got to be so much benefit to use these new technologies Because in combination, they give you the security, so you don't have the privacy risks, but you have the value that can be derived from the artificial intelligence and the correlating information or, as you say, pulling out appropriate reports and information to assist in a particular situation. Yet another example we think of is the misdiagnosis because a doctor wasn't aware of some research somewhere or some crazy symptom. Well, potentially the, in the future, even those things can be improved, probably never overcome because we're all human, but uh, that's very, very exciting field you're working in. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think – you know, I really enjoy the field. I think if you're looking at a career change or if you're looking at, you know, coming out of high school and, and looking at what you want to do, building computer programs isn't all about the technical.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Most of it is about the process and about equating the practical um, operational aspects with the technical. And there's a real gap There. Um, I think it's an exciting place to work. If you, and maybe if you have a little bit of mathematical aptitude coming out of school, it makes it easier. Yes. But um, I think if you're really good with people, there's certainly a role here. And, and I think that, you know, it's a place where you can really go to work and change the world. You know, I look at my group of people on our, on our agriculture platform, and and our mission around helping smallholder farmers around the world, and you know, not focusing on selling to big agro, um, creates value and people. The people I work with, at least, are very excited to go to work and uh, work on changing somebody's life. Absolutely, and-
1: what a win to spend your entire working hours, making an enormous difference for others, as well as deriving enormous personal benefit from something like that. That's yeah. pretty awesome. So how do people get in contact with you if they want to chat about this further or learn more about Blockchain Gurus or any of your variety of things you're doing?
2: Well, I mean, you can connect with me um... On email, John is J-O-N at Dimitra.io, awesome. D-I-M-I-T-R-A, or you can look me up on LinkedIn, John Trask, and connect with me there. I am pretty regularly on LinkedIn, and uh, please feel free to reach out. We can we can learn more and uh, and talk about your projects. I'm always interested to learn what other people are doing.
1: Absolutely. I think there's such a variety of projects ongoing in this field. You probably keep learning about new applications every time you speak to someone.
2: Every day. So
1: thanks very much. I'll definitely link up the contact details on the show notes page so that people can get hold of you if they don't have somewhere to write them down. Thanks very much, John. I appreciate the conversation and all the exciting news you could give us. I may just have to have you back on for some of your stories in the future because I'm quite certain they're going to change by the day.
2: Well, I would be happy to come back and I know you know some people that are on my team and and she may want to come and talk to you at one point as well.
1: That would be awesome. A very different flavor to the conversation and I certainly will be reaching out. That is great. Enjoy the rest of the
0: afternoon.
2: All right, Nola. Thanks for having me here. Take care.
0: The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing and download the financial growth scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.